So, uh, mission trips, just one of the ways that we go. We, we believe, uh, because God is ascending God, that, that we should be ascending church. And so we, we love to send people. We love to see them go. We're sending you during the month of June in particular, but, but really all the time. Uh, but we're kind of emphasizing and drawing a line under this in June that we've sent you into the community. And so take some of these random acts of kindness cards and do random acts of kindness. I guess if we're giving you cards and telling you to do it, it's not quite as random. But, <clears throat> but still, you can kind of make it random. So uh, take some cards and just be Jesus in, in the community. Uh, another way that we send is through church planting. Uh, statistics tell us uh, that one of the most effective ways of reaching the unchurched is to plant new churches uh, in areas. And we believe in that. We are a church planting church. We're committed to that. It's one of the uh, main uh, aspects of, of our DNA and, and one of the things that we value highly. Now, um, if you've been here for a long time, you know that we've planted uh, several churches, and what we say to you every time a church is planted, we say, you need to ask the Lord if you're supposed to go, because you need to ask the Lord if you're supposed to go. Uh, he's the only one that knows. I can't tell you, David can't tell you, but the Lord will tell you, and so you need to pray. This will be our first grandchild. Uh, David has been the youth pastor at Stonebridge, which was our first church plant. Uh, we planted Stonebridge back in 2007, and David has been the youth pastor there for seven years. And David and his wife, Jane, and, and Jane's been a part of our, our network longer than David has, right? So you can kind of straighten him out on anything he's confused about, right? Which I'm sure you've never done that, but you have my permission to do that from here on. So Jane has been at Riverstone, kind of grew up here, and then Stonebridge with David. And, and uh, so they're going to be our first grandchild as they plant uh, but hey, guess what? The grandparent church gets to send people too. And so pray, uh, pray for David and pray for Jane as they launch this new church plant that he's going to tell you about today. Um, 96%, now I've said this before, but just let it sink in. 96% of what we call church growth in America is transfer growth. People just going from one church to another. Guys, that's not growth, and it's really not healthy and good. What we want are churches that reach the unchurched. Actually, we would love to plant churches that reach people that don't like church. And this is what you're going to hear from David today. I met David when he was a freshman at the University of Georgia. And at that point, when I first met him, he was just goofy kid, that made me laugh. Now he's a goofy man who makes me laugh still. <laughs> but he also now makes me think. And I believe that the things that he shares with you today will stir your spirit and cause you to think more deeply about God's mission, perhaps, than you ever have. So I'm going to invite David to come. I'm going to pray for him. And he'll bring the word to us. Lord, thank you for David. Uh, I just pray your blessings on David Scott today uh, as he imparts vision and mission 
from your heart to ours. I pray you give us ears to hear. I pray that he would feel the weight of heaven behind him. In Jesus' name, amen. If attention deficit disorder was a spiritual gift, I would be anointed above all my companions. Um, so for me, it's easy. Uh, it's easier, I would say, to be able to do things uh, in pieces so that I can keep my focus. And so there's really three things that I want to do today. And the first is just say thank you. Uh, first, thank you to Tom. Uh, it, it, it would be hard to tell you all the things that I'm thankful for when it comes to Tom Tanner. But, but I became a Christian probably about a month before I left for college and uh, walked into the Wesley Foundation. And, and everything that I learned about being a Christian the first two years of my life with the Lord happened uh, because of Tom. And I don't have time to tell you all those things. Um, but I'm incredibly thankful, Tom, um, just alone for learning about prayer. Because every time I asked you a question, you said, did you pray about it? And it made me so mad. <laughs> uh, but it taught me so much, and you taught me so much, and you continue to teach me so much, and you've given me more chances uh, than I ever deserved and more opportunities uh, than I ever deserved, including today. Um, and so I could never, even in the time I have, thank you enough. Um, getting to worship next to you today was, was fun. It reminded me a little bit of Exley Wilkes in Athens. And so um, I'm incredibly thankful for you. Um, yeah, so thank you, Tom. Yeah, I want to say but I'm also, I'm also incredibly thankful uh, for Riverstone uh, as, as an outgrowth of my thankfulness for Tom. Uh, I've been prayed for in this church for campus ministry. Um, I've been prayed for for student ministry. And now I've been prayed for uh, for church planting some by the same people from start to finish. Um, I, when, I, when I took the job at the Wesley Foundation at Kennesaw State University and had no reason or right, uh, I sat in the back of this room with Tom the first week on the job, and he prayed for me and, and shared wisdom and advice. And again, um, I cannot thank Riverstone enough, and I don't have the time to thank Riverstone enough for praying for me and for being with me all along the way. Um, so thank you guys, and I give a hand to you guys for everything that you've done along the way. Um, you know, and then I, I, I went to college with Kristen. I went to seminary with Mason. I've been to Costco with Robert. And, and all of those involved perseverance through prayer and, and set me up. Um, for church planning in, in so many ways. So again, um, I just want to say thank you uh, to all of you. Uh, the, the other two things that I really want to do is, is I want to talk to you a little bit about Highlands and then a lot about Jesus. And part of that is because I'm a pastor and, and not a salesman. Um, but the other part of that is, is that hopefully if I talk to you a lot about Jesus, I'm talking to you a lot about Highlands if we're doing it right. Okay. So I just want to share, uh, some of this stuff's going to come up if you want to know, um, about Highlands and then we're going to jump in the word together. Um, our vision, all, all the churches in the network obviously committed to community transformation. For us, we talk about doing that through equipping followers of Jesus to build missional communities. Some people are starting to call those micro churches, but essentially what that is, is those are, uh, those are places outside of the church where we live out the purposes of the church, being filled with the Holy Spirit, asking the Holy Spirit to come and transform lives, engaging in loving people and seeing God transform people. So that's, that's the primary way that we want to encourage the people who come to what is Highlands Church 
to do that. Um, but in addition uh, to growing the church by, by sending those people out, we also want to be uh, kind of a, a macrocosm of that microcosm, um, if you will. We want to understand what Highland's role is in the community and then also use that. Um, to live that out purposefully in the community. That, that really stuck with me. Uh, one of the times that I was reading when Jesus talked about new wine and new wineskins, and I think a lot of times the church does have new wine, but we struggle to find new wineskins for it. And I'm hoping that Highlands will be able to, to show to people as well as to teach to people. Uh, what it looks like to live out that purpose in the community. And so kind of a quick way that we say that to people who come is we want to be a church of the community, meaning we want the people who are engaged in relationship in the community to, to be a part of our church. We want to be a church to the community, meaning we want to do outreach to the community that acts pastorally and cares for the community around us. I'll share a couple of ways we're doing that in a minute. And then we want to be a church building community. We don't just want to do acts of service. We want to do acts of service with the purpose of teaching people how to build community of God, even if they have a lot of baggage when it comes into walking into a church. I love the church as it exists today. I love worshiping with you guys. I love praying with you guys. And so many of us do, but there are so many people uh, that struggle with that. And that even people that I engage on a daily basis who say, I love the Lord, but the weight of walking into a church at this point for me is too much. And we want to we wanna build communities, um, not communities that are alternative to the Lord, but maybe communities that are alternative to some of that baggage uh, while still holding closely to the Lord. So, so I've created a little bit of a picture on this next slide of what that looks like. Uh, for us is that, is that we want Highlands um, to exist in all three areas that you see represented. Um, I, I love church, like I told you guys, and we want to create community for people who love church, people who love the church as it is currently constituted, who feel renewed and built up and are longing uh, for community in the Lord to pray into them, to support them, to encourage them. We call that family of God. You guys will see that um, again in a minute. Um, but we also... Uh, want to be a place, uh, go back, we also want to be a place for people who don't church. I said, I used to say people who hate church, and everybody said that was too harsh. So we're going to say people who don't church. Um, and I put that in quotation marks because I think they misunderstand the church. Um, I don't think that what they're rejecting is the church as constituted in the New Testament and the people of God filled with the Holy Spirit. I think what they're dismissing is in, in some degree, a lot of misunderstandings, but maybe some right understandings um, that we're struggling to correct as a large structure. And we want to we reach those people too. Ultimately, we, we want to live in the middle. We want to live in the tension between those places. People ask me all the time, they say, well, are you a church or are you a mission? And I say, yes, we are. We're, we're, we're God's mission with a church, and hopefully we're God's church with a mission. Um, I, I don't know if, if, if you know this, but the most recent statistics that I find, they're probably about a year old, say 80% of Americans who identify as spiritual or religious attend church services rarely or never. And, and when you bring that down to Americans that identify as Christians, 60% of Americans in the United States that identify as Christians say they attend church rarely or never. And so as we plant churches going forward, I think it's important that these churches be engaged all across the board in discovering new ways and new wineskins 
uh, for people to engage the Lord. Uh, our values, that's that next slide, thanks. Um, the first is relational discipleship. And um, Jesus said in John 5, 19, he said, I only do the things I see the Father doing. And, and we believe that that's the best way for discipleship to happen, that discipleship isn't a system, it's a relationship. And it happens when we listen to God and we listen to other people. And then we discover what it is that God's saying as we listen to those people. Uh, second value for us is the family of God. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. A lot of times churches are caught up in friendships and, and that's great. I, I, most of my friends um, I actually go to church with, but, but it can also get a little sticky because if we don't look alike, if we don't uh, make the same amount of money or dress alike or talk alike, um, that's usually what friendships are based around commonality and the family of God's so much bigger, isn't it? Right? The family of God is about we have the same father. And I don't know about your family of origin, but my family of origin, we're, we're fairly diverse even in the household that I grew up in in terms of what we think about, what we talk about, how we vote, all those things. Um, and, and when I think about family, that's what I think about. And so we want to promote even more than friendship, the decidedness of the family of God for people who engage us. We want to be there, especially for people in adversity. Um, uh, the next value is city on a hill, and that's kind of shorthand for Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says we're called to be the light of the world, salt of the earth, and a city on the hill. Um, we'll, um, I'll dive into that uh, when I dive into the scriptures today a little bit more. But essentially, uh, we believe the church should shine in the community. That's been so hard to say. Somebody said I should have changed it. Um, the church should shine in the community. Uh, as a better way forward for people, as a different way forward, um, as an alternative to maybe the things that they see around them. And finally, we believe we're transformed by the Spirit. God always gets there first. God is always on the scene before us, and we're just trying to partner with him in the lives of individuals and also in the life of the community. Uh, so here's what we're doing. Here's what's happening so far. Um, I've told people that, uh, so we meet at Wednesday nights at Stonebridge until August. The way that I've described that to people is it's kind of long-term dating is what we're doing right now with people. Is they're getting to know us. We're getting to know them. We've kind of defined the relationship with about 35 adults. And we like each other. And we're interested in each other and we're doing things together and we're living out some of these values together. But the proposal for us comes in August. Um, that's when we'll lay it on the line and we'll say, listen, we are going to go be a church and we want you to be a part of this with us. So we're doing that right now as we meet together. We're trying to build uh, both circles uh, in the midst of doing this. We're building that people who love church circle on Wednesday nights. And then beyond that, we're doing some really neat things. I'm going to tell you guys two stories. I could tell you a thousand, but I'm going to tell you two. I couldn't tell you a thousand. I could probably tell you 50 so far, but I'm going to tell you two uh, the first is uh, something we actually did last Wednesday night. We have a commitment to, uh, to every fourth time we meet together, we're going to do an act of service for the community. We call it our services service. And uh, so this past week, it was on the heart of one of the folks that's coming uh, to roll cutlery um, for local groups that give out food. Um, uh, specifically mission centers that give out food to people. And so uh, Wednesday night, uh, about, about 30 to 35 of us, kids and adults, we met in a room together and our church service was, we ate, we prayed, uh, and then we rolled cutlery until we had 2,100 rolls of cutlery uh, together, uh, men, women, children, um, all rolling that together so that we could give that out to people for what uh, the visionary of it described is a chance to not just give people silverware, but to offer dignity back uh, to people who maybe struggle to see 
uh, their life as normal in the midst of having to have everything be given to them. And it was just this great experience for us. It, again, it's, it's hard to describe what it's like to see people living church and doing church um, as the church. It was great. The next night, uh, a couple of our guys have a strong vision to start playing pickup basketball in our community. And so two of them uh, have rented out the gym, a local gym, and have invited guys that they know from work and from around the community to come play pickup basketball. And so 19 guys got together around the community and played pickup basketball uh, the next night with the purpose being that people would know that Jesus loves them, cares about them, um, doesn't just want to bring them into a building, but wants to laugh with them and, and live life with them as well. Um, a lot of other things like that are going on um, that it, I'd, I'd be happy to tell you more about if we have more time. Um, and then uh, how you can support us. Please pray for us. We need prayer for everything. If you can think about it, we need prayer for it right now. So don't even like, you just throw it out there and it's probably something we need prayer for. Uh, specifically, you can just pray for our people that God would really root it in the hearts of people called to this vision. Our finances, we're, we're still figuring that out and, and what that means and how to project out and, and, and pay for things that we need. And we're also paying for things um, in the community that we know that we're not gonna see um, an actual return on yet. Um, so you can pray for that. Our geography, people's favorite question is, where are you going to be? And my favorite answer is, I don't know. Um, yet uh, there's actually some decisions being made by the end of today that will help decide where we can be. And without getting too into that, one thing I'd really ask you to specifically pray for is there's an opportunity for us um, to be a part of a great God story for our community and even for our network in the midst of this. And so if you guys could just pray for that, that, that sounds, I'm not trying to be vague so I can be mysterious. Um, I'm, I'm just, uh, it, it's, it's kind of not in my hands to comment on all those things. But if you could just pray for that, um, we would really appreciate it. And then just pray that we stay rooted in our values. You could come, like Tom said, you just ask the Lord what he's supposed to do, or you could send someone. If you know somebody we might resonate with. Um, you can email me all the time at highlandsmarietta at gmail.com. And you can just say, want more info in the subject line? And I'll get back to you. That's an easy way to find out more. Our website's almost up. And that's, Jane, what is that? Highlandsmarietta.org is what it is. It'll be up soon. So just keep going back. Uh, and then the last thing I would say is uh, in our first year, I think we are going to be both a mission and a church. Uh, we have about 35 adults coming, and about half of those have either not been to church in years or have never gone to church. Um, and so it's a, it's a neat experience, and we're teaching them a ton about what it means to be a church. But, um, but I think we're going to need some support for the mission piece. And so if, if that's something that God lays on your heart in terms of prayer or financial support or anything, in terms of taking us on as a mission for the community in the first year. Um, so a big part of why we're both a church and a mission um, was actually a conversation that I had with Tom early on in this process. And Tom and I talked about uh, the pitfalls of being a church for people who don't church and, and don't like church. And he recommended a great book to me, which, been, which has been foundational for us, which is called The Celtic Way of Evangelism. I think he talked about it here a few weeks ago. It's, I would recommend it to anybody. It's a great book. Um, whether you like to read or not, it's, it's a great uh, book. But it helped us, um, it helped root in me the idea that if you're gonna do something like this in a community, that you need to be a church and a mission. Uh, because a church without a mission can become really insulated and can become just a group of people that are like-minded and, 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 only, and only in a huddle together. But a mission without a church, at least in our context, probably just means you're just hanging out at a bar with people and nothing's happening. 
And, and that both of those things are dangerous, and we need both of those things to hold us in the tension of God. And, and that's actually why uh, the passage that we're going to read today is the, is the one that I chose. It's one of the passages of the Bible that's really served to help me in terms of seeing what does it look like to establish theological fences, for a lack of a better word, uh, when it comes to planting a church like Highlands. And so we're going to read uh, from John chapter 8. If you have a Bible, if you go there, uh, you'll probably see some sort of indication that says uh, that early manuscripts struggle about where to put this passage. And I think that's part of why it reminds me of Highlands. I think people struggle about where to put Highlands right now. Um, we've been called a liberal church and we've been called a fundamentalist church already. And we're not even really a church yet. Um, so, which makes me feel like we're doing something right, right? Like to get caught somewhere in the tension. Uh, between those things. Um, but this passage ha- has been tough over time, in, in part uh, for reasons like theological reasons that, that probably aren't worth going into a ton today. You can research those if you want to. Uh, but maybe one big part is that the early church structures really pushed ethical perfection and penance, especially when it came to sexual sin. And, and what you'll see in this passage in chapter 8, it says probably in most, the, uh, this is about a woman caught in adultery, is that Jesus has a refusal to condemn this woman. And it's, some people say it was at odds with the outlet of the day, um, that they struggled to reconcile it with their idea of, of penance. Um, and, and so for us, the thing that I would encourage you in terms of, of taking away from this, not just about Highlands, but about us as the church in general, is that taken seriously, the main actions by Jesus in this passage and really in the Gospels are challenging to a people who are trying to take seriously both sin and renewal. You know, tension can be bad, right? Tension can be tension in a marriage, in a family, but tension can also be good, Right, It can be the tension that holds us to the center ground where we need to be. And I think in this passage, um, we're going to see that tension. So I'm in John chapter 8. I'm starting in verse 2. It says, Early in the morning, he, that's Jesus, came to the temple. All the people came to him. He sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, this woman's been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they as no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So where scholars ended up locating this passage is in the middle of a a lot of interactions where uh, the religious scholars and scribes are challenging Jesus. And, And so in the midst of that, you see this challenge of Jesus. The goal of this interaction for these men isn't really to get to the truth, but it's to test and challenge Jesus, right? You've, you've seen these kinds of interactions where it wasn't really truth that they cared about, but, but they wanted to prove somebody else wrong. So what these guys do is they go and they find a woman, we're told, in the act of committing adultery, right? You can fill in whatever blanks you want to with that. And, and they want to judge her 
by the law of Moses. That, that's what they brought to Jesus. They say, hey, you say you care about the Old Testament. You care about the law. The law is really clear here. And the law they're referring to is actually Deuteronomy 22, verses 22 through 24. And it says this. It says, if a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman, so shall you purge the evil from Israel. If there's a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city and you shall stone them to death with stones. And it's that second piece that, that they're really going after here. So their goal is to challenge Jesus because Jesus has claimed to teach righteously and he's claimed to uphold God's law. And he's clearly violating what their understanding of that law is. Specifically, a little bit earlier, he's broken the Sabbath by healing. And they thought, well, the Sabbath, maybe that's a little bit of a, of a weak point or it's a little bit, you know, less clear what you should do. But for sure, sexual sin is going to be the indicator. That will show him for what he truly is. If we bring this woman out here, everybody will see it. It's not just philosophy. It's humanity. And either we will be able to control Jesus, which is kind of what they wanted to do, or we'll be able to prove he's a liar and dismiss them or and dismiss him. But, and, and Jesus knows this because he knows the Old Testament, and we can know this too because we can see the Old Testament. Their circumstances actually hurt their case. They have a few problems. First is this, where's the guy? <laughs> right? It's a real problem. <laughs> it, it's interesting how, like, the Old Testament law, like, you know, the Bible can be accused of being anti-woman or whatever. But even the Old Testament law knew it takes two, right? And, and so they're, they're supposed to be a man, that's being brought up. And conveniently, they haven't brought up the man. Another piece that we didn't read today is a little bit later in Deuteronomy. What they say is that this is such a serious thing. If, if you're going to stone someone to death, they said you have to have two eyewitnesses of what actually happened. Now, I'm not going to go into what it would take to be an eyewitness of what actually happened. But I don't think you would stumble upon it, right? Like, I don't think that it's accidentally. I, I walk through Marietta Square all the time, and I've seen some things. But never have I and a friend going to lunch been able to be an eyewitness, right? All the things you would have to know, all the circumstances that you would have to ignore, you would have to wait for the exact moment when somebody was their most vulnerable, and you would have to seize on them in order to do it. But they don't have two eyewitnesses. Right? The other thing is that this isn't actually the only option for people by Jesus' day. And the reason we know that is because of a guy named Joseph. Remember Joseph? Joseph thought his wife Mary had done this. And Joseph, it says because he was righteous, had decided to divorce her quietly so that she would not be stoned to death. And so we actually know that there's a righteous way to deal with this that these men have ignored. And then the last thing is this. When they bring this, this woman before Jesus, it is so clear that they have no concern for the woman at all, right? She, she's just a pawn in their game, right? She's just, an, she's just a way to justify their ends. She's a means to an end for them. This is a powerful story because it paints a strong picture of harsh judges who have neglected their responsibility to care for the soul of a human being. She's disposable. Their aim is to corner Jesus, use her life as a tool in a theological gambit to prove that they're right and he is wrong. And I would say church, like we can get pulled into those kinds of debates way too much. 
Jesus responds not by going directly at the issue. This is, this is super weird. It would have been weird for them, and if, if we allow it to be, it's weird for us. So they say, what do we do? He slows down the whole scene. He bends down. He writes on the ground in the dirt. He bends down again. He doesn't respond to their requests, and he doesn't look at the woman either. Why? Because right now the woman isn't the issue. Their hearts are the issue, right? Their hearts are the things that need to be decided on. So Jesus rises above the situation and he appeals to the position of their hearts. He says, all right, fine. The one who hasn't sinned, be the first to cast the stone. Now, this can be taken out of context too. For sure, he's not saying the perfect person, but what he's acknowledging is you guys didn't even do this right. If you were gonna do this, you didn't even do it right. So clearly, nobody right, can, can cast a stone in this situation. And so Jesus is saying, let the witnesses that are holding to their integrity before God, let them judge first, let them go first. And there are so many violations in their approach that they can't do it. The end doesn't justify the means in the church. It never does. So they leave. And finally, Jesus talks to the woman. He waits till they're gone, which I think is important. And he could be the only one in the case to throw a rock, right? Like if anybody could do it, it's him. But he doesn't. And he's also the only one in the situation who has the right to look at her and tell her what to do with the rest of her life. And he does do that. He delivers her from death and into new life. He forgives her and he teaches her and gives her hope. And he demonstrates what John says about him when he says that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is 100% grace and he's 100% truth. And that is something that our culture is in desperate need of today. And it's in desperate need of it from the church because Jesus is the only place to fully and finally satisfy both our need for grace and our need for our lives to change. And he never compromises either. John 1.17 says the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came together in Jesus Christ. 1 John 1.8 says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And church, what I would say to you today is this is what we're called to be in the world. When I say Highlands has a value of being a city on a hill, that's what I mean. To live as an example of 100% grace and 100% truth in a world that can't really abide either and just fakes them. The problem is that the church is full of individuals. Am I right? Yeah, somebody said, well, the church, you know, I hear this all the time from teenagers, right? The church is full of hypocrites. I'm like, so is your high school. You still go, right? I mean, it's, it's everywhere. And we're inclined to love one side or the other. But church, I would say this, as family of God, we have the opportunity in community to live in both. We're the only people who get that opportunity, right? We are the body of Christ. None of us individually, but all of us collectively. And, and, and so I just want to offer a couple of challenges first, as I, I mean, as I close. The first is to people who can kind of end up in the ditch of grace without truth. If that's you, this will is, this is, stick with you. You love it when Jesus says, let the one without sin cast the first stone. You love it, right? You're like, our job, we should just love people, right? Like that's what we do. We should love people. And you're right, but you're uncomfortable with the next part, right? You're uncomfortable with go and sin no more. 
It, that, would, that would be a struggle for you. If you were to look at your friends who don't know Jesus, you would be fine with the love of Jesus. But to have to look at them and have to look at the things that are bad in their lives and say, go and sin no more would be tough for you because you fear legalism and hypocrisy. And God bless you. We should. We should stay away. We shouldn't fear them. But we should seek to stay away from legalism and hypocrisy. But the danger of this ditch is that we become the permissive parent. This is what I mean. We had a friend in high school, you probably did too, who we loved, to, who loved his mom because she always let us throw the parties, right? And she was the mom we wanted to go on spring break with, right? And she was awesome and she was cool and we all went to college and that friend went to jail. That's a true story, at least in my case. And, and that's the permissive parent, right? It does free us from consequence, but it doesn't give us life. It just gives us slavery, and it just gives us prison. We can't just be grace and forget Jesus' truth, but we also can't be truth without grace. If you loved that part, you're going to hate me after this part. Okay, so that's those of us who are like, yeah, you remember, he says, go and sin no more. You know, when we jump to that part of the passage, we want to make sure people know that he said that. Right? And, and, and we want to tell people, you have to get your life right. God wants you to get your life right. Because we're uncomfortable with forgiveness without correction. Because what we want is truth. And we don't want to relax truth at the expense of acceptance. And I would say to you, God bless you. We can't. If we lose truth, we're, we're leaving people in chains. But, but, but the problem with that side is that Christianity just becomes another gospel of behavior modification. It just becomes another list of rules for people to follow. And sure, ours start with Jesus, but they don't end with him. And in Christianity, we follow a person, a living God. We're not strict disciplinarians. They asked C.S. Lewis, you know, this is a classic quote from C.S. Lewis, what makes Christianity different? And he said, oh, that's easy, it's grace. See, see, the church is the hope of the world precisely when and precisely because we can live in the family of God that embodies both of these things as we allow ourselves to live in tension together. And I think the biggest way we do that is this. I'm running, slow, I'm running low on time, so I'm going to motor through this. You go to the next slide real quick. Is that we slow down and we learn to listen within the body and within the community. James 1.19 says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's what we call relational discipleship at Highlands, right? We want to be quick to hear. We want to be quick to hear God about what's going on in the situation. Jesus slows down everything. I don't know. Maybe he's listening. Maybe he's like, this is a tough one. And he slows it down. We want to slow down and hear from God. The goal of conversations isn't to win. The goal of conversation is godly wisdom. Relational discipleship over triumphant theology with people and with the community. We also want to be slow to speak because we think what we think we know, we might not know. And we need to be careful. You can be sure of things. They did this study on 9-11 where they asked people one week after, one year after, three years after, and 10 years after what they thought about 9-11 and where they were. And what they experienced. And people would read, 10 years down the road, people would read what they wrote a week after. And they would say, I didn't write that. That's not what happened. We don't always know what we think we know. And so we should be slow to speak until we know 
that what we're saying is coming from the place of grace and truth of Jesus Christ. And then we should be quick to speak when we know it. When we don't understand someone, speaking isn't always the best path. And then last, and maybe most important, is we should be slow to anger. Anger wants to win, right? That was these guys. They just wanted to win. They were mad at Jesus. They were mad about losing. Maybe you feel like you're losing every conversation, every argument. You're losing in your home. You're losing at work. And anger can can make you just want to win. But listening invites Jesus into transform. So what do we do with that? It's a lot of of stuff. It's a lot of who I think God's calling us to be as highlands to live in that tension. But broader than that, I think God's calling all of us, church, to live in that tension. And so in a broad way, I would say, Riverstone, live that. Look at all these incredible people in here. Some of you are going to be so inclined towards grace, and we love you. And some of you are going to be so inclined towards truth, and we love you. Live in community with each other. Not at odds with each other. Live in tension of God, not in tension that the devil would want to stir up in you. And then individually, I would just say this in terms of ministry. And can I invite the ministry teams up, Tom? Is that good? Yeah, I want to invite the ministry people up. James says that most of the wars outside of us happen because of the wars inside of us. I told you guys our, our fourth value was that we're transformed by the Spirit, that God's moving first. And, and my question to you would be what's, what, what's, your, what's your battle internally with grace and truth? I think for some of you in this room today, maybe truth is so important in your own life that you have forgotten that God has grace for you. That maybe the soil of your heart has gotten hard to the love of God for you and you're walking around condemning yourself. And you're walking around trying to modify your behavior. And Jesus is just saying, I just want to soften you. I want to soften you for my love so that I can grow you again. I'd encourage you, if that's you, let, let people pray for you today. It's one of the greatest ways to allow God to soften your heart. And then some of us, we come out of condemning backgrounds. And we've run so hard the other way. Right? Because we know that legalism that we grew up in. And we hated it. But what's happened is we're missing out on the life that can come when Jesus also releases us to go and sin no more. And you're stuck. You're stuck in the weeds of sin and it's gonna choke God out of your life. Let your friend, no, let your family pull back some weeds today so that you can keep growing. So that that thing that you're like, man, I gave up on that 20 years ago. Let them not give up for you today. And whenever I think about people getting prayer, I think about why people don't get prayer because that's what you do when you're a pastor. You're like, why aren't people getting prayer? Because you're always going to get it. And I think sometimes what happens is that that we start to, to think that the people in this room are our friends. And what will our friends think about us? And will our friendship change if I go down there? Because what will people think I am? And all my friends think I'm this. And if I'm not this, then what if they're not going to be my friends anymore? And here's what I want to tell you. It's something I used to tell my daughter. We're better than friends here, you guys. We're family. We are born for adversity. Some of us are friends too, and I love friendship. But we are born for adversity. If not, if not these people, who? Who's going to be the family of God for you? 
So, so I'd encourage you to come. I'm going to pray and then people can come forward. Is that right? You got something? All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for being everything that we need. God, thank you for being enough to forgive us and enough to set us free. God, forgive us for the times, God, that we let our personalities, which you put in us, pull us away from the fullness of who you are. Forgive us as the church and forgive us as people. God, we want all of you. And we look at a world that needs all of you. God, and we know that we don't deserve it. Just like I talked about Tom, who gave me more chances and more opportunities than I could have ever deserved. God, we we, we know that that's you loving me for Tom. So God, we thank you that you look at all of us today and you look at us as the church today and you say, neither do I condemn you, but go, stop sinning, go and live the life that I freed you to live.